Welcome to Russian History Retold. I'm your host, Mark Schaus. Episode 118, Chechnya and Russia, a bad relationship. Well, the end of the Russian Rulers podcast came and went. So now, as I've told you, I've decided to change the format of the series to focus more on the people and events that make Russian history such an incredible study. As you may have noticed, I've changed the name of the podcast to Russian History Retold. You won't notice this on iTunes or other podcast catchers, because frankly, it's too hard to do for a technically challenged person like me. But the format for the podcasts will be slightly different, as I will be covering everything but the rulers of Russia, as I will retell the story of the Russia as I see it. Now, you may disagree with my point of view, which is fine, but I promise that I will try to be as objective as always, starting with today's podcast, which is sure to draw controversy. I'll be jumping from era to era, with no real rhyme or reason behind it, except that it's a topic that I find either timely or interesting. You may have also noticed a change in the opening musical piece. I've dropped the Volga Boat song to kind of lighten things up. Uh, as I find other pieces, I'll begin the podcast with different works, so we're not going to just have the same music. And today's piece, that came from Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov's masterpiece, Scheherazade. Now, let's get on with the podcast topic of today, the relationship between Chechnya and Russia. Obviously, one of the reasons I chose this subject is because of the Boston Marathon bombings and the two suspects being of supposed Chechen heritage. Now, one of the things I noticed with the posts people were putting on news groups and responses to news articles and Facebook was how confused people were about where Chechnya actually was. And, of course, some you know, were actually thinking it was Czechoslovakia. In reality, it is situated in the eastern part of the North Caucasus. Partially in Eastern Europe, Chechnya is surrounded on nearly all sides by Russian federal territory. In the west, it borders North Ossetia and Inguishtia. In the north, Stavropol Krai, the area Mikhail Gorbachev once led. In the east, Dagestan, and to the south, Georgia. It's also a rather small country, checking in at about 5,000 square miles or 13,000 square kilometers. Early history suggests that the Circassians, the Avars, and the Zygians had occupied the lands. Today, Chechens call themselves, and I apologize to any if I mispronounce this, because the spelling is odd, but it's Noxchi, N-O-X-C-H-I-I. And their land is known as the Noxchin Moks, or Chechen land. Its capital is Grozny, which was a Russian fortress founded in 1818 known as Groznaya, or Awesome, just like Ivan IV, known as Ivan Grozny. It was created during the Caucasian War of 1817 to 1864, when Russia tried and succeeding in annexing the Caucasus. The book War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy gathers much of its information for the work from this war. The area of the Caucasus that Chechnya lies in has been inhabited for over 100,000 years, by some estimates, with the first human settlements found around 40,000 BC near Lake Kezanoi. It was permanently inhabited starting about 8,000 years ago. 
In the 13th and 14th century, the area of the North Caucasus was devastated by the armies of the Mongols, led by Tamerlane, also known as Timur. It was then part of the Georgian-allied Vainak kingdom of Jujukisha. They were the only peoples to actually fend off the Mongols, but at a terrible price in destruction and loss of life. Their allies, the Alans, were almost totally wiped out prior to the Mongols attacking them, but enough survived to eventually form the region known as Ossetia. At about this time, the peoples slowly started to convert to Islam, as had the forces of Tamerlane. It started with the heads of the clans that were an integral part of Chechen society. By the 19th century, there would be about 130 such clans, which are all patrilineal. These clans would be part of nine larger clan confederations, which set the rules of society and ruled the countryside. This is a very important thing to understand, as there, were no, there was no centralized government to make decisions. This comes into play when dealing with the Russians in the 1800s. More on that later. Chechen society was very egalitarian, and their social interactions were based on honor, chivalry, hospitality, and respect. This came about in part due to the attacks by Timur and the utter devastation it wrecked on the peoples. They had to rebuild their society, and they did so and became fiercely independent. This is a very important thing to understand about the Chechen. They're fiercely independent and do not like outside interference. Now, the Russians started to make forays into the North Caucasus Mountains, which worried the Chechens. They turned to the Turks for aid and, in return, completed their conversion to Islam. But, unfortunately for them, the Turks were in dissent, and Russia was a growing power. With the coming of Ivan IV, who, as I said before, was known as Ivan Grozny, the land was being invaded and settled by Cossacks in the name of Russia. The Cossack group formed was known as the Terek Host. Many of these people were native Ossetians. By 1859, Imam Shamil, the leader of the Dagestani Chechen resistance, surrendered to Russian forces. The Russian Tsar at the time, Alexander II, took this to mean that the whole of Chechnya had come to belong to Russia, but the people claim otherwise, as there was no formal government, as I said, and Shamil had no authority to do so. This is why the Caucasian War in the western part of the region continued on for another five years until its conclusion in 1864. Because of this, many Chechens to this day do not believe they were ever legitimately annexed into Russia, and it is why they still want their independence. What happened next was genocidal. People in the mountainous regions of the Caucasus, who were mostly Circassians, were forced to either go to Turkey or be relocated in other regions of Russia, far away from their homeland. The number of people who were caught up in the diaspora had been estimated to be around 600,000. Many died of disease and hunger as they were forced out of their ancestral lands to a number of ports on the Black Sea. Another uprising obviously occurred, and this was in 1877-78, to 78, during the Russo-Turkish War, with that being utterly crushed. Move forward a few years, then came the Russian Revolution and the ascendancy of the Bolsheviks. 
At first, the Chechens welcomed the Red Army and fought with them against the Whites. But soon thereafter, they realized the Bolsheviks were not on their side. By 1922, they invaded the Soviet Mountain Republic, as it was known then, under the guise of pacifying the people. In 1925, another so-called pacification of the people was carried out. In 1929, another rebellion, this time because of forced collectivization, was attempted and brutally crushed. Over 30,000 people were slaughtered because of the forced collectivization policy. Do understand, though, the Chechens were not the only ones who were repressed during the period of forced collectivization. All peoples in the Soviet Union, including native Russians, suffered greatly. Suffered greatly. So when they say that they feel like they were the only ones, this was certainly not true. In 1936, Stalin ordered that Chechnya and Inguishtia be merged into its own ASSR. When the World War II invasion of Russia by Germany came about, the Chechens were deemed to be traitors and thought to have sided with the Germans. Wonder why. Whether this was true or not, and it is likely that many did side with the Nazis, the entire population of the region was deported as retribution in 1944. The Chechen ASSR was liquidated, but by 1956 it was reinstated under Khrushchev. Some Chechens were allowed back into the country, but many were not. Years later came the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and almost immediately the Chechen people, in 1991, started an independence movement initially known as the Chechen National Congress, formed and led by ex-Soviet Air Force General and new Chechen President Jokar Dudayev. He tried to rally the world for the recognition of Chechnya as a separate nation. The Russian leader at the time, Boris Yeltsin, was absolutely dead set against the idea, and in 1994 he sent troops into the country. This started the First Chechen War. The war was a bloody one, with civilian casualties estimated to be between 2 and 10 percent of the population. The war precipitated one of the first mass hostage crises that struck Russia and its allies over the coming years. The Budyanovsk Hospital Hostage Crisis. 80 to 200 Chechen rebels attacked the city of Budyanovsk on the Stavropol Krai on June 14, 1995. They took an estimated 1,500 to 1,800 hostages at the local hospital and threatened to kill them if all their demands to end the war were not met. Shamil Basayev, the leader of the Chechen terrorists, began executing people on June 18th, four days after taking the hospital. Three separate military raids were attempted and failed to free the hostages. Finally, Russian Prime Minister Viktor Chernomyrdin and Basayev negotiated a deal to free the hostages and allow the Chechen terrorists safe travel back to their home base. The death toll included 166 hostages killed, 541 injured, with 11 policemen and 14 soldiers killed. Basayev's men suffered only 11 casualties. The capital of Grozny was in the hands of the Russian army after a bloody two-year battle that ended in 1995. But in August 1996, from the 6th through the 20th, Chechen rebels retook the city and a surprise move that totally demoralized the Russian military. 
Negotiations were immediately held, which ended the war with a Chechen victory. Pavel Krachev, a former Soviet and then Russian general, beforehand was very sure that his army would be easily victorious. He said, quote, It is not a question of an assault in the classic sense of the word. What does an assault on a city mean? It means the use of all the forces and weapons in the country's arsenal. It primarily means heavy rocket preparation lasting several hours. It means heavy bombing raids on the whole city with the aim of disabling 60% of the defenders and demoralizing the rest. Well, his prediction of a victory in a few days was obviously off. In September of 1999, a number of bombings of apartment buildings in the city of Buinax, Moscow, and Volgodonsk led to the death of almost 300 people, claimed that the bombings were carried out by Chechen rebels, which was later disputed by a number of Russian journalists. In particular, Alexander Litvinenko, who was later murdered by a rather unusual radioisotope, and Anna Politkovskaya, also murdered in 2006. They claimed that it was the Russian secret police, the FSR, that carried out the bombings to get the Russian people behind a second invasion of Chechnya. Vladimir Putin was involved as the head of the uh, FSB, excuse me, in 1998, but he appointed Nikolai Patrushev as the head of FSB in 1999. What role he had in the bombings is up for debate, as we will never really know the truth, but it is likely that most of the attacks. Because of the perceived terrorist attacks, Chechnya was again invaded by Russian forces on August 26, 1999, in response to the invasion of Dagestan by the Islamic International Peacekeeping Brigade, International Islamist Mujahideen Terrorist Organization, which was formed in 1998. Its leaders were an Arab, Mujahideen, Ivan al-Khattab, and our old Chechen friend, Shamil Basayev. The Second Chechen War had two phases, the battle phase, which lasted until May of 2000, and the ins until April 16, 2009. Numerous terrorist attacks against Russia were carried out by Chechen rebels, rebels over the years, but over the time worn out by the years of war. Something that's very fascinating, from 1920 until 2009, estimated that the Chechen people lost 60% of their population due to things like Red Army invasions, forced collectivization, mass deportations, starvation, and come from a number of sources that really do seem very reliable, having to do with census uh, taking and things like that, possibly somewhat exaggerated. Now, according to the Encyclopedia of Russian History, when talking about the feeling of the Chechen people about the Russians, quote, the overarching cause has probably been Russian official hate dating back to the 19th century when the Chechens were the largest and most visible of the groups resisting Russian conquest, fueled by continued Chechen non-assimilation and resistance. Besides many civilian deaths and refugees the two wars gave, brought numerous violations of Chechen human rights by Russian forces, destruction of the economy and infrastructure of Chechnya, open prejudice and violence against southern peoples across Russia, and a small but conspicuous radical Islamist movement in Chechnya. To this day, there is still insurgent activity in the country, and there is still a deep hatred toward Russia, but the country is firmly in Russian hands. 
Attempts are ongoing to rebuild the country, but a lot of money being sent there is being taken up by corrupt officials on both sides. We are likely to read more news stories over the years of attacks by Chechen rebels around the world, especially aimed at Russia. Now, I don't want to have anyone think that I think Russia was all evil and, or Chechnya was really bad or the Chechen people or the terrorists. They're good on both sides. But let's face it, these are not two peoples that are just fond of each other and uh, will go out and have a nice little drink in the backyard. Well, I hope you enjoyed the new thought, uh, format of the podcast. I can't say that I'll be sticking to a firm schedule of ev- every other week, but I'll do my best to get you a new podcast as often as possible. I'm actually uh, in the midst of more than halfway through the next uh, episode, which is going to be really fascinating. It's something that I think is real important to discuss when talking about Russian history, and that's the climate and geography of Russia. So I'm going to explain to you the kind of wide variances of temperature that you find there, why there's vast regions of tundra and dryness, uh, how they got this great geographical nation together over the years from a very small little Kievian state to what it is today. And I really hope you enjoy that because I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm really fascinated by everything that I'm learning already. Now, don't forget to come to visit my blog site at www.russianrulershistory.com. We'll be posting some of these maps when we get to the next podcast. And if you so choose, please make a donation to the podcast which would be greatly appreciated to avoid having to solicit advertisers. Also, stop on by at the Russian Rulers History Facebook page, where you can join the growing community, and there was a lot of discussion when I posted about uh, the topic of Chechnya and Russia. Uh, There you can ask a question, make a comment, or leave a suggestion. Now, I'm going to keep with some tradition. I'm going to leave you with the comment, Das Vidanya, Ispasiba Bolshoya.